Welcome to Unpromoted Episode 2. This week we sat down with Stelios, a close personal friend of mine and someone who initially taught me how to be a sales development rep as he talks through his journey from SDR all the way through to account executive. This conversation lasted twice as long as I thought it would and so we broke it up into two episodes. Part one goes through his career as an SDR and he talks about the skills he learned, the things he struggled with, and how we can learn from his mistakes. Hey, Stel, how's it going? Oh, I'm very well, thanks. That's too funny. Sorry, I was distracted by the uh, the really cool countdown that it gave me. <laughs> yeah, we're trying out some new um, some new recording stuff, and they all have some some pretty cool countdown features. No, this looks like a great platform. I like it a lot. Thanks, man. Again, thanks for coming on. Um, I know we planned this probably about three weeks ago. Um, had some trouble nailing down a time, but I, I appreciate taking you know a Saturday afternoon to sit down and, and talk about joys of being a sales development rep. Yeah, great. I mean, uh, those times are a little bit behind me now, but uh, you know the the trauma is still fresh. <laughs> yeah, you've uh, you've been out of the role for what six months now? Eight months? Oh, yeah. Um, it would have been uh, around July, July 2020. So I couldn't give you an exact date, but somewhere in there. So we're getting there. No, I remember um, I remember we went out for dinner shortly after you got promoted as like a celebratory dinner. Yeah, I've been known to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, we'll, we'll dive right into it, man. I know I prepared a list of questions for you. Um, we might go a little bit off script. No harm there, um, but we'll start off simple, man. Tell us your story from the beginning, how you got into B2B sales development and all the way to where you are now. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, if, if we want to start off by, you know, how I really got into sales um, and, you know, this was something that I brought up in my initial interview with, uh, with the business development director that decided to bring me on. So um, one of the examples that, that I used as, you know, that, if I were to think of uh, maybe like a milestone that really got me into sales, it would have been, you know, during my, during my undergraduate studies, um, I decided to pick up a, a serving and bartending job. And within, you know, within those roles, uh, when, whether you're serving, whether you're bartending, you have, you know, these different, uh, these different alcohol sales reps that will come in and incentivize you to sell their products over others. And, uh, you know, during those days, you, you'd be incentivized to sell whether it was like a Heineken product or a Canadian or whatever the whatever the whatever the rep was promoting at the time, and then those would be the incentives for you to go out and pitch their products essentially over others. And yeah, you know, I'd say that was probably my my introduction into sales because I absolutely loved it. Right, um, having a very clear objective when you walked up to a table for the first time, like you know what my intention or my objective is going to be to sell, you know, this table a round of Heineken over Canadian or, you know, or, or whatever product they were pushing. So getting in there with a clear objective, I think that was uh, probably my first, you know, run in with a, with, with a sales, uh, I guess with the sales environment. I never thought about being a server in that way. Like the idea of selling one brand over another, like, I thought they just hit you with the specials and sort of let you do your own thing. Yeah. Um, I, again, it's, it's really hard to say, right? So um, a different, uh, different, uh, you know, different places, you know, had different, uh, different incentives. But 
when I was working for, there was, there was a short time where I worked for MLSE, so uh, Maple Leaf Sport Entertainment, and I worked at one of their um, one of their restaurants, and it was so much fun. We used to do um, again different promotions for different things, and we used to have some great competitions. I remember there was, you know, one of my most memorable was they were promoting. Um, they were called schooners. I think they were 32 ounce beers um, in these like cool, cool jugs. And whoever could sell the most schooners between, I think it was, which was essentially an upsell at the time, whoever could sell the most schooners in like the month of June, and this would have been back in like maybe 2013, uh, 2014, um, you got like four tickets to Escapade and like their VIP Heineken section. So made sure to win that, which was, which was awesome. And, you know, still remember that to this day. That's really awesome. And what about like you're in, you're in the bar industry. Um, I know we worked retail for a little bit together. Um, we can skip over that. That's, but like what made you decide that business development was, you know, a career you wanted to pursue or sales development was a career you wanted to pursue? Because I remember when you were being interviewed, like we were working together when you were being interviewed to get your first sales development job. Like what made you choose to make the jump? So it wasn't really a jump per se. Um, you know, I had a close friend of mine that worked in the bar industry who, you know, back in the day I was pretty competitive with, you know, in whether it was sales competitions, um, you know, him and I, who, who still, who and I still work together today, uh, we would, um, we, we were just very good with people, um, very, you know, very, uh, outgoing. We were extroverts. And he reached out to me one day and said, Hey, like, you know, I found this, this, this job with a startup company. You know, I think you'd be really good for it. Um, you know, you should definitely come in and, and have an interview. And then, you know, at the time, I wasn't crazy about what I was doing at the time. Um, one of the topics that, that really kind of stood out to me, um, during my education was corporate social responsibility. So when I learned that there was an option, not that I had any idea what this software startup did, but when, <laughs> when I was going from, you know, um, one environment to another, I was thinking, wow, if I can combine, you know, working in, you know, in sales, which I was very good at, and then moving over to a job where I could, you know, genuinely help people with some, some CSR initiatives, I thought it was a match made in heaven and there was no way I could turn down the interview and, um, I guess that's kind of where the story starts, if that makes sense. And that's a really cool story. Um, it's really interesting to see, you know, how you evaluated um, the choice to jump into a sales development role. Maybe you can answer this in a better way than I could. But when you're when you accepted the role, uh, made the decision to jump, like, did you have any idea what to expect? It's so funny that you say that. I had no idea what to expect. But um, and. So I, when I when I do something, I make sure I play to win. And I remember, you know, talking to my colleague and you know asking him questions. Like, okay, like what is the what is the interviewer want to hear? And I didn't even know what I was really interviewing for. I just knew that I'd be good for it. He's like, look, we're reaching out to businesses. Um, we're we're setting up meetings to to pitch our product. And I'm like, okay, perfect. So I'm like, what does the hiring manager want to hear? And he essentially gave me, you know, you know, a kind of a cheat sheet of, okay, they're going to ask you this, and this is how you should answer. So him and I went out for drinks. We we made sure to to study, and he you know gave me the pointers, and I went in and rocked the interview, uh, which is again hilarious because I had no idea what I was getting into. I I had no idea either. Like I remember, like the offer letter came in, um, 
And at the time, like I said, I, I was working retail, um, was like done with retail, ready to jump onto something new, had no idea what was going on in the interview. I knew it was a couple, like they said, cold calling is important. Um, and that was about it. Like, and then just signed it, put my notice in, came in with a fresh set of eyes and had absolutely no idea what to expect. You know, we were very lucky too, because it was such a warm and welcoming environment. Um, the, the environment that we walked into, you know, working uh, alongside each other in what we called our, our BD pit or the SDR pit was we had that, you know, that great environment. Everyone was welcoming. Um, everybody, everybody kind of knew each other. Ottawa is a really, it's a, it's a kind of a big little town where, you know, everyone knew at least one other person, which brought them in. And, you know, we all wanted to make sure each other was successful. Um, the way that they had the, like things like territories and revenue bands divided was that, you know, you couldn't really step on anyone else's toes, which was awesome because that made everybody want to help each other respectfully, um, with their, with their own, with their own respective, um, you know, uh, territory or revenue band or, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I mean, to add on, um, obviously it was a welcoming environment. The other part of that was the, the training that had been developed. Like, I, I don't think you could have thrown us into a better training program or a more supportive training program. Like there is a, a good chance that that is part of the reason that, I mean, part of the reason I succeeded, but uh, I mean, part of the reason you succeeded too. Oh, absolutely. And you don't realize, especially when you're, you know, when you're working for, um, whether as an SDR or an AE and you're joining a new organization, it's, it's, it's important for everyone to understand that, you know, the learning curve, especially, you know, if you're going into um, an AE role or an SDR role with a very simple product that's very transactional, and you know high volume and transactional you know it's a lot easier to make mistakes and it, they're usually a lot easier to learn right whereas if you're jumping into a role that is you know higher complexity longer sales cycle higher price tag um there you know there's usually complex sales cycles are usually uh, accompanied by you know complex products and you know and complex niches so it's very important to understand um to know what you know and to know what you don't know and then to be able to lean on your peers to to help them or to, for them to help you and know when to ask for help. Yeah, that support system is is huge especially when you're in an entry level. Um a lot of the time, you know, you're cold calling guys that have been in the industry for 20, 30, 40 years and and talking to them about, you know, the issues they're having. It's it's pretty easy to get overwhelmed, um, especially when you're in those first couple months and you're just in that learning curve of, okay, what does the product do? What does the prospect do? How do those come together? What problems do we even solve? And you know, you're still having these conversations, um, but having that support system and and the pit that we had was was huge. Like you could you could get help so quickly. And the next time you get asked the same question, it, it's not a problem. Well, it's funny just to jump in there. You just said something really funny where, you know, you're talking to someone that's been in a role for, you know, 25, 30 years. And I remember thinking, you know, when I first joined in and, you know, I was cold calling VPs or cold calling directors on essentially an industry that I knew, you know, very little about at the time. It was, it was funny, but terrifying when, you know, you'd reach out to a, a prospect that was like a VP of, you know, whatever industry you're dealing with. 
and you see that they've been in their role with their company for longer than you've been alive <laughs> and you want to call them and explain to them how they're doing something inefficiently or how they could improve their program. I don't know. I found there's something like really funny about that. And <laughs> I don't know, maybe you agree, maybe you don't, but uh, there's nothing worse than when you, when you talk to someone that just is unwilling to change their ways or is unwilling to explore something. I think there's, there's nothing more disheartening than that. You're right, especially when their career is older than you. Um, that's that's a tough pill to swallow. We'll, we'll switch gears a little bit. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, and I don't actually think we've talked about this off the record in any way at all, um, but you know, as you're progressing through the sales development role, like what do you think you struggled with the most? So depending on you know on what stage, I think very early on, um, I struggled with really the basics. When I say the basics, what I mean is, you know, when I was jumping on the calls, I, I wanted to make sure that I had a very clear objective and, and that's really what helped me. So what I usually, what I found was when I was first starting, one of my biggest struggles were, you know, where am I trying to take a conversation, right? Like what, what is the objective of my phone call? So as an SDR or a BDR, your role is to get somebody on a phone somebody with authority in the correct industry onto a meeting with a senior colleague. Okay. But what I found and what I found with others that were, that were struggling with that rule was that they were, they weren't focusing on the objective. So the objective really needs to be like getting that meeting, right? So if you were to like write out a list of, um, not, not a list, but if you were to write out, you know, where I am now and where I need to go, it's like, if you were to say a, is, hey, how's it going? And then Z is, we're booking a meeting. So it's like, how do you get from A to Z properly with that objective? Because I find that, again, people that are not as successful or my peers that were not as successful would always lose sight of that. They would call and say, you know, looking to educate you, look, we're, we're calling for, you know, X, Y, Z. But that's not what you're doing. The point is to book that meeting. Now, there's there's great ways that you can get to, to from A to Z, whether it's educational content or you know, um, a friendly touch point or a webinar or, you know, some sort of marketing collateral. But the objective isn't the marketing collateral. The objective of, is not education. The objective is booking that meeting. So again, something that, that I struggled with at the beginning, but I was very easy. It, again, I was in a great environment where I was able to learn from others around me. So I immediately gravitated to the people that were successful and, you know, yeah, I would essentially um, dissect what they were doing and say, okay, well, like this, you're going from like, this is their objective and this is how they're getting there. Let me do my best to replicate it, put my own spin on it. You know, of course you want to make sure it's genuine, right? Like the, the point of these calls is to genuinely help people. So as long as you keep that in mind um, and you remember that your objective is to get here, then, then, you know, that, that's what, what, what I struggled with the most, I'd say. Yeah, I think that was, it was probably the same for me. Um, once you talk about, like at first you're learning about the product and, and as you're starting a call, like it's so easy to go down that, like trying to sell them on the product route, even though you have no idea how to do it. And I, like you were the one that taught me. So it, it was one of those things where you and I are sitting beside each other and we literally, you literally walked into the office and you're like, it's about selling the time not the product and that was it like that was the piece of advice 
that I think was a game changer for probably most of the people that were on our team is like once you make that mindset to, you know, you can have product conversations, just like your goal is to get time. Right. It changes your whole perspective. And, and again, it, it really puts that it, it puts that objective in place. And once you know what you're chasing after, it's a lot easier to get there. Yeah. It, once you have an end goal in mind, like you hear this all the time with goal setting too. like set a goal. I'm going to get healthy. Like, great. How? How will you know your health? Like, what is the end goal? Like you need a measurable I've hit success point and that was, you know, getting time on the calendar and that's the end goal you have to keep in mind when you get on the call. Right. And that's super important. And okay. So that's one of the things that you struggle with in the beginning. One of the things that I think we all struggle with in the beginning. Um, what about like right out of the gate? What was, you know, the thing that made you successful? So you're going to laugh. Um, and I don't think I've really talked about this with anybody, but um, probably, you know, obviously my managers knew this at the time, but I struggled pretty hard at the beginning. Um, you know, I'd say within my first three months, like I didn't even know if it was going to work out. You know, I wasn't really hitting my, I wasn't hitting my targets. I didn't really understand what to do. And what I did, which made me successful was again, you know, maybe, maybe I'll take a step back here, but what I, what I did originally was I was watching the people that were successful and then I was trying to figure out why I wasn't. One of the largest gaps that I immediately immediately identified was when you know, especially when you're when you're pitching on the phone, or you're trying to hit them with a very you know very quick, concise, and you know a sharp pitch. Um, the the those that were successful just had it down perfectly. It was automatic, and I find mine at the time was still very disjunct. It didn't really flow. Um, it didn't sound really sharp, and I didn't sound really confident or competent. So what one of the one of the what I what I would identify as like a TSN turning point was you know once I identified this what I did was I had my script or you know had my like my talking points and I would use my commute home my commute to work and my commute home to just sharpen my introduction my intro or my introductory pitch so I made it automatic and I would record myself. So I would just go through it and see, you know, what is my prospect hearing on the phone? You know, what I know, I know what I think I sound like, but what do I actually sound like? So then I could change my pitch. I could change my inflections. I could, you know, make my own tweaks. And once I did something that I liked, you know, once I, once I mastered it to something that, you know, which made me successful, I would just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it until it was automatic. I took that time. Oh, I was going to say, so yeah, I just did that on my commute home. So I probably looked like a crazy person if you had driven by me on the, uh, on the, uh, on the freeway, but I would just talk to myself and just practice those pitches. I don't know if you remember like some of the training sessions that we went through when we were going through the learning process, but I remember like one of the managers would always be like, you should be reciting this in the shower. <laughs> like that was like, you should be able, you should have this so memorized that you could repeat it to yourself in the shower. And me being like fresh, new was like, okay. Um, and so <laughs> you're like, I'm young, I'm malleable. So, I'll listen to what you say. <laughs> like at the time we're in this one bedroom apartment, like my partner and I, um, and 
she can hear me and she thought I was singing in the shower. <laughs> and so I get out and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm reading my pitch. And she's like, what? Just like, what are you talking about? You sound like an idiot. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I'm reading my pitch. My manager told me that I should have it memorized so that I can say it in the shower. And like, I took that so literally, but like what you're saying and that same story is the same thing. Like practice, like you got to practice. You got to know what you're going to say. Um, this, I'll give you a quote because it, I think everybody in the sales world seems to know it or has heard it, but it's like the best practice on purpose, the rest practice on prospects. Oh, I've never heard that before, but that is sharp. I I stole that from other podcasts and webinars. So I'm by no means going to take credit for that statement. Um, But it's so true. Like you hear the guys and like, we can all listen to each other's calls and we did a lot just to see like especially who was booking the most like you're listening to all their bookings trying to figure out what's going on um, but you can tell who puts in the work when no one's looking mm-hmm. I couldn't agree with you more and uh, you know I would say that you know that that is true no matter what role you're in right whether you're um, whether you're an account executive whether you're you know uh, an SDR you, know, you really see the difference between those that are putting in the work on their own time. And, uh, you know, Jeb Blount talks a lot about this in his books. And, you know, I think that would be another pivotal moment was when I read Fanatical Prospecting. Um, I remember just when I, when I talked to you for the first time about joining, I'm like, you need to read this book. I'm like, this really is the BDR or SDR sales Bible. I'm like, once you understand what is in this book, you will be successful. And, you know, he really breaks down, you know, what he calls his platinum hours and golden hours. And it makes so much sense. You know, there's so many things that you can be doing, you know, during your nine to five. And what can you be doing outside of your nine to five? So things that you can do during your nine to five is, you know, reaching out to prospects because you can't reach out to your prospects at 9 p.m. at night. It just doesn't make sense. But they're not going to be at their desks, not going to be at their offices. Now it's work from home. So now maybe you can, but you know, realistically, yeah, exactly. But you know, what you want to be doing is taking that your downtime, the time that your prospects are not going to be in office and you want to be doing all of the backend work. So you want to be, you know, loading up your sales force, looking at zoom. You want to be, you know, loading up your outreach, your sales loft or, you know, whatever platform you're using, you want to be using that time for that. And then during the day, you want to be, you know, hammering the phones, hammering emails, you know, reaching out to anything that's live. So he breaks that down to golden hours during the day and platinum hours at night. Yeah, that that's huge. I read it in my first couple of months, um, and then I turned into Mr. Propaganda for that book and just handed it to everybody <laughs> who would hear me out. So... Um, like I can't recommend it enough. If you're starting in an SDR career, you have to read that book. Like it is a foundational piece. Um, it, it's like prospecting one one basically. Yeah. Not that I'm sponsored by Jeb Blount <laughs> by any means, but his books are Nor outreach or sales loft yeah, or <laughs> sales force. No one sponsors us. We'll just have to blank out all of those. Probably not. I think they're pretty industry standard. You should be fine. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, but one thing about Jeb Blount, I find his books are very, um, they're very practical and there's like 
theory mixed with practice every single time. And, you know, those practical examples are what really hit home, right? Like you can read so many sales books about persuasion or negotiation, but most of it's theoretical where when, you know, someone like Jeb Blount will give you those real life examples, you know, and talking about, um, you know, again, how to time block, uh, you know, things like that. And very, again, very practical examples. Those are the differentiators that make you, you know, go from good to great. Thanks for listening to part one of our Stelios interview. If you like this episode, subscribe to our page on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, and check out next week as we explore part two. 